we are going to uh, talk about our second Advent candle. Last week we talked about um, the, this uh, candle of prophecy, and we we connected it to hope. Basically, we said hope is comprised of two things: patience and expectancy. And there are many of us in this room that are really good at ex- uh, expecting things, and some of us emphasize that. And there are others of us uh, that are really good at uh, being patient. And you wait on the Lord. Uh, you know, it says in the scriptures, they that wait on, uh, upon the Lord, he will renew your strength. And um, what, what hope is, it's marrying the two together. And if you see that in the context of prophecy, we, we hope uh, that, you know, the prophecy candle ma- made a difference this past week. Um, but this second uh, week, we're going to look at um, this Bethlehem candle. Uh, because place in the scripture actually matters. So, for instance, um, Abraham um, had a son. His name was Isaac. And here's what God asked I, uh, Abraham to do. Sacrifice your son. Uh, I want you to be willing to kill your son for me. And so what do we know? Abraham took Isaac and they went up on top of a mountain. And that was Mount Moriah. Um, and God said, or Abraham was about ready to literally kill his own son. And we see the parallels with Jesus here, his, his firstborn son. And then all of a sudden an angel came and stopped him. Well, that is the exact location where what is, built, where what was built in the Old Testament. That's the exact, Mount Moriah is what? Zion. That's where the temple was built. So literally, where Isaac was about to be killed, that's where God told David and Solomon, I want you to build my temple, and what I'm going to do in the temple is it's going to be a permanent place, and in the Holy of Holies, I'm going to put the Ark of the Covenant, because that's where I will reside. That's the presence of God. And so place matters. And so I want us to think about um, this uh, little town, as we just sung, of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is five miles from uh, Jerusalem, Zion. So that's, if you were to pull out a racetrack and go to Citrus Park Mall, that's five miles. You happy I did that for you? You have a point of reference now? Right, wonderful, wonderful, good. Points of reference, that's very helpful. Bethlehem was a, a, a little insignificant town. And you can open up the Gospel of Luke or read Matthew and think, what's the big deal? Well, like we talked about last week, Many of us think, okay, it's got some significance. Um, because here's what Micah 5.2 says. And this was written in roughly 700 B.C., 700 years before Christmas morning. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, who, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So Micah said uh, you know, to the people of Israel, look, Bethlehem is going to have some significance. Um, and then many of us do this. Here's what we do. We read what the good doctor writes, Dr. Luke, uh, the, the third gospel. And, and we're going we're gonna to read this right now. Um, we, we think, okay, that, that's Micah. It's the prophecy about Bethlehem. And then we go right to Luke chapter 2. So this is the fulfillment. And, and many of us have heard this plenty of times. In those days, Caesar Augustus 
issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I don't know what NIV, I, I think I got the contemporary, because there was no room for them in the inn. <laughs> that sounded a little funky to me. Um, and that's what we do. And that's what we think. Okay, God prepared us for Bethlehem to be a significant place in Micah. And then Luke came. And then, or if you want to read about Bethlehem in, my, in Matthew. Okay. But here's what we don't realize. No. The first 39 books, there are references to this city. And they matter. Because here, as we saw in the video, here's what we're doing this morning. Is we're connecting Bethlehem with love. And some of you need to hear this message this morning. Because love is, agape love is, it's when you have your affection, your thoughts, your behaviors, without any condition to somebody else. Have you ever given that or received that? It's without condition, your affections, your thoughts, or your behaviors. What does love do to you? Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, man, I tell you what, love is, is so unbelievable, it's blind. You do it without condition. Here's what I want us to realize this morning. The Old Testament set us up. And if you really read it, you realize there are certain connections that we could make, and the Old Testament prepares us for what? The love of Christ in Bethlehem. So here's what I want us to do. Just take three, and many of you are going to know these stories, but I want us to connect them to Christmas because many of us haven't. We've read through these famous stories, and we don't even realize God, in his divine providence, had all of this planned out. And so what we're going to do, the first story we're going to look at is from Genesis uh, 29. And it's a love story. And it's about... Um, Abraham's had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. And it's about Jacob. And in chapter 29, here we go. He had an uncle, and his name was Laban. And he was staying with him, his uncle. He wasn't married yet. After Jacob had stayed with him, his uncle, for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Have you ever been there? 
for you are so in love. You are so Twitter-pated, right? That's from Bambi, if you don't know. That's my Disney reference, right? You are so unbelievably taken. You might say, all right, I don't really care. My eyes, my affection, my thoughts, my behaviors are about this beautiful creation. Uncle Laban, I will work for seven years if you will let me um, marry your daughter. Seven years. I mean, that is love, right? Fellas, come on now. That's seven years. That, that's a lot of love. That's beautiful. So, um, so what happens? Well, Laban replied, it is not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Let me just rewind here real quick. Here's what happens in between verse 18 and verse 26. There, he works for seven years, and on the wedding night, he thinks he's going to be with Rachel. And what his uncle Laban does is he gives Jacob Leah. And he, is, he wakes up, and he can't believe it. He's like, wait, wait, it was Rachel I'd fallen in love with. That She had my affection. She was the object of my affection. Are you kidding me? That's all I've thought about for seven years. Well, how could you do this to me? And here's what he says. It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, Leah. Then we will give you the younger one, or Rachel, also. In return for another seven years of work. What do you do when you have your affection on someone and there are obstacles? What do you do? You're in love with this person. The, the father says, no, you know what? You got to do 14 years hard to be my, uh, my um, son-in-law. What do you do? Here's what we know about God's love. It's agape. It is without condition. So what, what does Jacob do? What do you do if you're in love with somebody? What does God do? when he loves you and there are obstacles that he finds into getting to your heart. What does he do? Here's the beauty of it. He does it. And Jacob did so. Seven years plus seven years, fine. It doesn't matter. He finished the week with Leah and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah and he worked for Laban another seven years God's love for you and for me is what it's without condition as Jacob loved Rachel so Christ God loves what you and me the church do you believe that that God's love for you and for me is without condition because some of you don't believe that and you live your life like you don't believe it and maybe you're coming to church hoping that he'll love you he already loves you he will do whatever that's what the scriptures show us he will he will do he, there is no obstacle large enough or high enough that he won't leap over or move towards you because that's how much he loves you and bethlehem is what is about love it's about the gift that jesus gives us what if you 
experience this type of Jacob and Rachel love in your life. Man, I can't even mess up in this relationship. Like I literally, I cannot sin enough to ever lose the affection of, of, of my, what, my spouse. What would that do to your life? And that is what we see here is God is showing uh, us that he loves us this much. Imagine 14 or 7 years and, and, and Jacob makes love to Rachel. And he says, I will work for you for 7 more. I don't really even care. Because the whole point is you and me, babe. That's what matters. It all points to what? It all points to the love of God that he has for us in sending his son. So here's, you, you skip a few chapters. I love this. It says this. They're on in life. They're older in life. Then they moved on from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Epaphra, Rachel gave, began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. As she breathed her last breath, as Rachel died, right? The love of Jacob's life, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni. But his father named him Benjamin, from the tribe of Benjamin. So what do we know happened after that? I love this. And you would not, if you were a, 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 particularly a Jewish boy that studied the Torah, and this is the first book of the Torah, or the Pentateuch, the first of the five books, here's what you would have read, the, the last part of chapter, go, go to the next slide. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Epaphrath, that is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. You can go there right now. Five miles from Zion, five miles from where the Wailing Wall is, you will find Bethlehem, and you will find Rachel's tomb there. In Bethlehem. Thinking what? You know what? I cannot out the love of God. Some of you need to realize that the first reference to Bethlehem in the Bible is about Rachel and the love that Jacob had for his bride. Seven years, 14 years, it doesn't matter. She is my love. I will work without condition. What if you had that in your heart? Because some of you are coming in here this morning and you don't have this love. And God wants to place it inside of you. That God promised that he would work through his people. You know who came from the tribe of Benjamin? And we find this out in the, in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul. He was, from, he was Hebrew of Hebrews. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. Wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. Right from Bethlehem. That's how much he loves you. Bethlehem is the home of what? Bethlehem is the home of this. Of relentless love. He will not relent. He will hunt you down. No matter what you've done, no matter what seven-year thing, obstacle you place in his path, God loves you that much. It's not about you and your love to God. The story of the scriptures is about God's love to you. Because if it's about me, I quit. I get tired. But when you have 
perfect God, without error, perfect in every way, immutable, omniscient. He says, you know what? I love you. From the love of the Trinity, I created man, and I am committed to my people. Bethlehem is the home of relentless love. Do you have that? That's what the second candle points us to. Second story. Second major reference to Bethlehem is this. It's the story um, that we find that comes right after the Pentateuch. Um, It's the book of Ruth. Here's what it reads. In the days when the judges, this is before King David or King Solomon, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Now, you're in Bethlehem, and there's a famine, and you're married, right? And Moab is kind of on the other side, right? Across the, on the other side of the Dead Sea, on the other side of the Jordan River. But here's the thing about Moab. Moab is a pagan land. And by pagan, I mean it worships pleasure. Anything that provides any type of pleasure, they worship. So you've got all different kinds of ancient Near Eastern gods that they worshiped. Asher, um, Baal, um, anything that could provide pleasure, that's who the Moabites worshiped. Now you live in Bethlehem. And it's from the tribe of Benjamin. And you are now going to move from this churchy ghetto into this secular ghetto. And so Elimelech is married to Naomi. Now, let's go uh, go to the next slide. The names of his two sons were who? Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. There's a famine. Elimelech and Naomi, two boys. We're going to move to Moab because we're going to die if we stay here. So they go over to Moab. And if you read the story of uh, Ruth, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, basically what happens is this. The two boys get married to two girls. Malon, or uh, Kilion gets married to a a guy named, uh, a girl named Orpah. Malon gets married to Ruth. And they live together roughly 10 years. But within these 10 years, here's, here's the tragedy of this, is Elimelech, the father, and the two boys, they die. And Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law. And they're Moabites. They were not from Bethlehem. They were not worshiping Jehovah Jireh. But they had obviously been a family. Naomi looks at her two daughters-in-law and says, you know what? The famine stopped. I need to move back to Bethlehem. And she says to her two daughters-in-law, you need to go to Moab. You need to stay in Moab. And you need to find another husband. Because in the ancient Near East, if you're a woman, you didn't have anybody that could provide for you. You couldn't provide for yourself. You need to find a husband. Orpah looks at her mother-in-law and says, okay, that's what I need to do. I'll do it. What happens, what happens to Ruth in this moment, this beautiful moment, when Naomi's like, I'm going back to Bethlehem. Ruth says, and we, we, we sing this song, wherever you go, Naomi, I'm going. If you stay, I'm staying. 
Who I am is who you are. I will now what? I will now, I will worship your God. You came from Bethlehem. I met your son and I've been in this family. And you know what? I don't want to go back to Moab. I want to go back with you to Bethlehem. Why? Because it's your God that makes a difference. Your God is the one true God. What we see here in the story of Ruth is that not only does Ruth get saved, not only does she believe in this covenant God of the Old Testament that has prophecies that one day there will be a Savior, she believed what Naomi believed, but Naomi helped find her a new husband, a redeemer. They're called a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz was his name. And he was a, a, a kind, godly man who was from Bethlehem. And you know what he said to, uh, to Ruth? You are mine. You are mine. You will now be a part of my home. You will be with my wife. And you know what? You are redeemed. Do you know how many people live in your community? Might as well equate it with Moab. Because what our culture says is you live for, here's nirvana. Nirvana is Christmas morning and seeing your kids smile. And that's a beautiful thing, but it's not salvation. What our culture says is if you have an intimate, passionate marriage, that's nirvana, that's salvation. Worship your marriage. If you have a beautiful job and you are upwardly mobile, you get in there and you work your way up the ladder, that is salvation. It's pagan. It's the same thing as being a Moabite. And Ruth was a Moabite. And you know what? She became a Christian. She was saved. And do you know what? This Christmas season, Bethlehem tells us, Bethlehem is to influence Moab. You are to influence your world. And some of you, you know these people in your life that you see every single day or maybe every single week and they just live for that it's christmas or their kid's birthday or a family gathering and that is the point and we just do that every single year until we die and and we hope you know it's it's fun but here's what the scriptures say is it's it's way more than that because if you're part of my home ruth naomi says or boaz says then you know what you're a part of a love that is what? It is absolutely redeeming. Bethlehem is the home to redeeming love. And some of you, you know the people you need to share with. And it utterly, I mean, Naomi changed, God used Naomi to change Ruth's life. And then even more so, Boaz. And as you think about that in your own life, where are you? Who are the people right now that you know live in Moab? And Bethlehem affects Moab. And when Bethlehem interacts with Moab, Moabites change because God uses people from Bethlehem. That's what I'm asking you. If you know Christ, you're from Bethlehem. And you need to go into the world and love, show them the love of Christ. God set it up in his providence that Naomi would be this conduit to, to, to Ruth's salvation. Who might you do that to? Who could you invite to a Christmas Eve service? 
It's the, it's the relentless love that will not back down in your life, but it's also the redeeming love that ultimately saves you. Bethlehem, it's all through the Old Testament. It sets us up for Christmas. The Bethlehem that's um, right there in the first book of the Bible. The Bethlehem that's right here in, in the book of Ruth. It sets us up to what? To shoot us to Christmas. To think, okay, wait, Bethlehem. And then Micah says Bethlehem's going to be important? Oh my goodness. I just thought it was about Christmas. No, no. It's, it's the love that's there that, was, that God was setting up. It was preparing a way for people to know, um, to know me. Last story. And it's, uh, here's what I love. Ruth, you know who Ruth's mom was? Rahab. Rahab was a harlot, a prostitute. Ruth has a boy. His name, Ruth and Bo- his name is Obed. Obed has a son. His name is Jesse. Jesse, he has a son. And what's his name? David. Right? In the town of David. What do you Yeah, what I'm saying is Ruth is David's great-grandmother. It's exactly right. It's all set up. It all sets us up. And what Jesse was from what? He was from the town of Bethlehem. And his son was to be what? Yeah, he was going to be important. First uh, Samuel 16 says this. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Samuel was the dude who anointed the king. And Saul, 6'4", had a lot of hair that I don't have. Puffy hair. Probably had a lot of gel in his hair, I think. Looked really good. Maybe oiled up his pecs and his deltoids. Looked strong. And everybody thought this was going to be it. Israel was going to expand. But here's what happened. Saul began to believe in himself more than God. And we see his demise. And Samuel recognizes this. And God is saying, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? I've rejected him as king. He thinks about himself. He's not a good king. Fill your horn with oil. And be on your way because I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Then we hear this description of the king, right? One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And the point is, the Lord is with him. Here's what what this king looks like. A king looks like someone who can uh, be a (laughs) singer-songwriter. Right? Kind of, wow. Yeah, he plays the lyre. And he can sing. And he he, he thinks of these what? These uh, affectionate ways to talk to God. And it's from his soul. But he's not just that, right? He is what? He is a brave man. And he is a warrior. He can use his softness and his artistic side, but he also has a strength that maybe we haven't seen. In fact, you know what we know about him? Is he went to a brook and he took out five smooth stones. And then when King Saul gave him a bunch of armor, he said, no. You know what I have? I have a slingshot and I have some smooth stones, but here's what I have. I have the presence of the Lord, and that's the game changer. 
And so I will walk down here to the valley and I'll face the giant. And here's what I'll know. The Lord is with me. And so when I, what? I, uh, we do this with the preschoolers all the time, talking about David, right? Get our slingshot going. All the, all the, all the kindergartners and, and preschoolers get so excited. But when they let it go, it wasn't about David's strength or his accuracy. It was about the Lord's hand was on him. And here's what we knew, is that his bravery that God placed in him killed the giant. And we knew that was rooted in what? He was a shepherd boy, and he, had to, and he had to defend sheep. So what do we know about David? He killed a bear. You ever see that movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio about that bear, that bear scene? Freaks me out. I think about it sometimes. He killed a bear, and it's, he was all messed up, and uh, bears scare me a lot. And, and then it says, more than that, he killed a lion. David killed a lion, right? This courage and bravery that he killed a bear and he killed a lion was prepped so that he could kill the giant, the Philistine the enemy of the Israelites. And he had that strength at the very same time. Just read the Psalms. That guy was not just a beefcake, bunch of meatheads, right? He, man, he knew his heart. Read the Psalms. He could articulate where he was at any moment. Like when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he says, create in me a clean heart because it's dirty and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, the Lord. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That's Psalm 51. This is a beautiful psalm of forgiveness. He was what? He was strong and he was soft. He was a, he was a, a guy that, that could fight and kill the ten thousands because Saul only killed the thousands. But you know what he was? Read the story about he and his best friend, Jonathan. He was pro- he's one of the best friends you could ever be. Jonathan was, was equally the same. Those two guys, you read the friendship of David and Jonathan. It's so powerful. There was a softness and a soft-heartedness, but a strength that he had. And when you have a king like that, that can speak and call you to strength and call you to softness, that will know you. And, And we read this. He is from Bethlehem. From Bethlehem, that's where things change. You know what we realize? Bethlehem is the home uh, not of rel- just relentless and not um, simply redeeming, but this reassurance that we all need. A God who knows the strength that you're called to, to show and, and a God that knows there's a softness that you're also called to show. And he says, it's this story of this small little town, right? In fact, it's a setup. It's a setup. And this is... David was in 1000 BC. 300 years later, Micah gives us one prophecy about Bethlehem. And then it goes dark for 700 years. And then on Christmas morning, here he comes. And what do we see? We see angels show up. The invisible made visible. We see three wise men come. Walk past Herod to this small little town believing that out of what? Out of Bethlehem, something small is going to be great. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to reassure you or tell you, you cannot send me. However broken you think you are, you cannot out sin or out pain the restoration that comes from Bethlehem. So where are you? What if Advent were this? Us with this expectation. You know what? That is offered to me and it's available to me. 
And you guys, by faith, said, you know what, I'm going to take that. Maybe some of you have never, ever in your life believed that that was accessible to your heart. And it is. And that's why this candle, that's why we light this candle this morning. And we know, ultimately, King David, what do we know? King David messed up. And all that they thought was great ultimately broke down. But then a king actually came. And he was strong and he was soft. But he did it perfectly. And he said, I want you to follow me. Even if I don't want to drink this cup of wrath, I still will. Even if I don't want to work seven more years, for you, I will. I will get up on the cross. I will do that. And I want you to follow me. Because the way up is the way down. When you want to be first, get last in line. Because I will bless that stuff. When you want to be hard-hearted and you want to build up a wall, here's what I want you to do. Mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. When you decided to cut off any appetite, here's what he says. Blessed are you that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's counterintuitive. That's what the gospel is. It's counterintuitive to think that Bethlehem could be worth anything. But it is. It points us to Jesus, a king who is both strong and soft. Where are you this morning? Please make this personal. Please apply this in some real way. Because he wants to change us. Through his spirit, he wants to make us men and women. Uh, people, as it says in the book of, of Acts, people on the way. So let's pray and ask God to move and change us for him, for his glory.